And then the question becomes whether at that point did he have a reason to believe he was in danger of death or serious bodily injury. Very difficult decisions that people have to make on the spur of the moment. And all of those things go into it. But I think what people don't realize, you could say, I reasonably believe that I was in fear of death or serious bodily injury. Law enforcement says objectively, I don't think that you were in fear of danger of death or serious bodily injury and they bring charges against you. Then you'd have to clear your name in front of a jury because the district attorney, once they started the wheels of the criminal justice system in motion, would probably force this to be resolved by a jury trial. It's just a snippet of what you'll hear coming up on this show. Hey guys, it's Steve Mittman, Sensei Hoover's co-host and producer of Attack Life, Not Others. Thank you for listening. Today's episode is part two of a three-part series we kicked off last week. Today introduces the Honorable Judge Robert Steinberg of Lehigh County, Pennsylvania. He knows the law. He's uh, He's been around a long time and he's a good guy. Ironically, we recorded this episode about three years ago. And for one reason or another, we just haven't released it yet. We had plans to release it this week. And uh, in a weird kind of twist, I guess you could say, there was a police-involved fatal shooting that's making national news. It's a very emotional and uh, hot discussion right now. It was uh, on a street right outside Dorney Park, which is a local amusement park and water park in South Whitehall Township. South Whitehall is where we're based, where the podcast comes from. And as of yesterday, just yesterday, the Lehigh County DA announced that charges will be filed against the police officer who shot and killed this guy on the street. In this episode, possibly you'll understand a little bit better why the DA decided to proceed in pressing charges. Now, it's a long road. It's got to go to trial, of course. But at this point, as of today's release, that's where we stand. So by listening to today's episode, you'll have a better understanding of the legality of everything. What you can and can't do, what law enforcement can and can't do in the face of a threat, deadly force, reasonable force, etc. Without further ado, let's kick off this episode of Attack Life, Not Others, right now. Mind. Body, spirit, the martial arts are a way of life. Attack life, not others, is an insight into that life. With Sensei Tim Hoover. Today we have on the show my good friend Bob Steinberg, Judge Steinberg, who I've known for over 20, 25 years. And I am honored and excited to have him here. Thanks, Bob, for being here. Oh, thank you. If I can call you Bob, uh, just to refer to you as Bob. Bob goes back many years in the martial arts in, in two ways. One, he's supported uh, a lot of our fundraisers. So I wanted to Eddie Uricone's foundation that, that was created um, oh, 20 years ago. And I, I don't think you missed one. You would always go and speak to all the kids about everyday life issues. So you always supported our school and our children. The crazy thing is, is that I still get letters from these kids that are off, way off of college now, actually raising their own families. And they still refer and remember, and they go back to that, those breakathon years the lessons that they learned, the speeches that you made. I didn't realize at the time when we were doing it how kids would recall that as they grew up. They were there for a purpose. What we did is we used to break a thousand boards and we used to give this money that we raised. These kids would raise this money and then they would give it to local charities. So anyway, along with that, Bob is also trained with me way back with our buddy Alan. Also, most recently, he's trained in a program that is just based on self-defense issues, from gun defense, knife defense, to ground defense and stand-up, which we just recently did together a year ago. 
So not only is Bob familiar with the law, but he's also very familiar, too, with the martial arts point of view and how we practice in the dojo, the respect we have for each other. Well, one of the things that is not discussed enough, we talk so much about, and this show has nothing to do with technique, by the way. We don't talk about which style is better than the other. But a lot of times when you're training, you get lost in the physical movement, you get lost in the technique and the application of the technique, and you don't really refer or go back to discuss the law, what rights we have, and what we really need to be thinking about when we're out there walking around. And if we get shoved or pushed or get put in a situation where we feel we really need to defend ourselves or somebody else, how far can we go? And not only that, there's categories. Defending ourselves at home, in our house, versus on the street, in a public place. And also, too, I'd like to talk about the difference of law enforcement and their right, and what makes them uh, have the ability to assert their force on us. So what is the difference between protecting ourselves in public, on the street, versus in our house? Okay, you have to break it down to its separate components. Okay. Meaning that if you're protecting yourself on the street, you're entitled to use reasonable force. It raises the bar to a whole different level if you're using deadly force. So when you say reasonable force, I have somebody in the street, all of a sudden he just bumps into my shoulder. He just starts coming at me. At that point, if I have a knife on me, can I defend myself with a knife? I don't think so, because at that particular point, the fact that somebody comes at you and you're going to get into a fight doesn't demand deadly force. If they came at you with a gun, maybe deadly force under those circumstances would be appropriate, because then you have reason to believe that you're in fear of death or serious bodily injury. But the general fight on the street really comes down to the question of reasonable force. But when reasonable, you say reasonable force, what do you mean? Is that like force? Force that's not excessive. In other force words, is not excessive. if somebody slaps you, it doesn't mean that you can get a sledgehammer and hit them over the head. So a slap for a slap. Slap a, for a slap. A punch for a punch. Punch for a punch. You do not, and we do not have the authority to escalate above that. So you cannot say, okay, a knife over a punch is the law. It's a punch for a punch. It's not very satisfying. It's the use of reasonable force and not excessive force. But once you get into deadly force, there are other components that people don't really think about. The first one is what I alluded to earlier, is that law enforcement is going to scrutinize this. So what you think is reasonable, law enforcement is going to look at to determine objectively whether that was reasonable, deadly force under the circumstances. So they're going to look at it, and there have been a number of different cases where the person subjectively thought that he had the right to use deadly force. But law enforcement turned around and concluded that the person did not. Then that person was charged. Let's use the example, and probably not a great example, but George Zimmerman. George Zimmerman thought that he had the right to use deadly force against Trayvon Martin. Whether he did or did not isn't really the question. Law enforcement thought that he did not, and then as a result, they brought charges against George Zimmerman, and he was scrutinized not only by law enforcement, he was scrutinized by the media, he was scrutinized by the public protests, potential retaliation against George Zimmerman, and then ultimately, George Zimmerman has to live with the fact that he killed somebody. Yeah. And all of those things go into it. But I think what people don't realize, you could say, 
I reasonably believe that I was in fear of death or serious bodily injury. Law enforcement says, objectively, I don't think that you were in fear of danger of death or serious bodily injury, and they bring charges against you. Then you'd have to clear your name in front of a jury. Because the district attorney, once they started the wheels of the criminal justice system in motion, would probably force this to be resolved by a jury trial. And so that component, I think people don't think of very much. The other component that you're talking about in your home is what is commonly referred to as, in Pennsylvania, the Castle Doctrine, Stand Your Ground Doctrine, where if somebody enters your home forcibly— Not under a claim of right, you know, the person who is coming to, uh, you haven't paid a bill or something and they're coming to retrieve their property. But if somebody forcibly enters your property and you believe you're in danger of death or serious bodily injury, you have the right to use deadly force. And that's, in essence, the castle doctrine, otherwise sometimes referred to as a man's home is his castle. So... That requires scrutiny also because it's not unheard of where somebody has broken into somebody's home, been confronted by the homeowner, runs out of the home, and is shot outside by the homeowner. And then the question becomes whether at that point did he have a reason to believe he was in danger of death or serious bodily injury. Very difficult decisions that people have to make on the spur of the moment. Also, the other thing that people have to realize is on the street, there are two other things. If you've provoked the issue, then you can't raise self-defense in Pennsylvania is called justification. The other thing in Pennsylvania, there is the duty to retreat if it can be done in complete safety. So before using deadly force. So, for example, somebody is threatening to kill you. In and of itself, are you in fear of death or serious bodily injury? doesn't really make a difference because under those circumstances, if it's just on the street and you have the ability to retreat in complete safety, and this sometimes arises in road rage cases Mm. where you can drive off and you can retreat in complete safety. So those are some of the issues that arise with respect to law enforcement and distinction between law enforcement and the general public. Law enforcement has no duty to retreat at all. A law enforcement officer does not have to retreat in the face of deadly force and can use deadly force under the same circumstances that I've indicated, but they can also use deadly force, for example, when somebody is trying to defeat an arrest and escapes with a deadly weapon or puts the general public in harm as they are escaping. So, for example, recently in Cleveland, you have somebody driving away from the police and this goes on, high-speed chase, police officer under the circumstances uses deadly force to control the operators of the vehicle. Under those circumstances, the judge felt that they were still a danger to the general public by their actions and ultimately concluded that the actions of the officer was in self-defense. Now, I'm not forming any judgments as to whether that decision is correct or not. It is correct because the judge made the decision and double jeopardy is going to attach. But 
you can see that decisions that are made are not a simple decision, not that using deadly force should ever be a simple decision, but it's not just a simple decision. It will then be dissected and then dissected again to determine whether or not the shooting was justifiable. Well, you said to me um, in conversation a couple of months ago, you said that something that could happen to reference spur of the moment, a spur of the moment is within seconds, that this would be scrutinized if this issue lasted 15 seconds to 20 seconds, it'll be ripped apart, broken down, and turned into 20 minutes, dissected, and pulled apart. So that 15 seconds of your response or the way you respond to a situation is going to be totally ripped apart by the district attorney's office to see what really happened. And the police. Yeah. And again, it goes back to, we talked um, on the last couple shows and referred back to different selves. We have self-awareness. We talked about the spiritual side, the mental side of self-awareness. But here's something that is extremely important, which is self-control. One of the hardest things to control is your own actions. We talk about it in the dojo. You know, we'll talk about how self-control is so important. And we talk about the, uh, the statement Fondacoshi made many, many, many years ago that there is no first strike in karate. And you really have to think about the responsibility you have with your training, not just the martial artists, but with just regular citizens as well, that you're out there and that just a little bit of fuse goes off and then you react in the wrong way. The fight escalates and the next thing you know, your freedom may be taken away. So that's why I thought it was so important to have Judge Steinberg on the show because he has a martial arts background, but also the law and to discuss a little bit just to get a little wiser so that maybe next time we're out there and you do get a bump on the shoulder, you just ignore it. You walk away. It's not worth it. And have the knowledge to know the differences to when you can respond and what reasonable force or like force is. Thank you for listening to Attack Life, Not Others. Subscribe to our podcast. And for more on Sensei Hoover's way of life through the martial arts, go to hooverkarate.com. This has been a Steve Mittman social media creation. Steve Mittman, socialmedia.com.